You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation, music tech, and also the event director at the Music Tectonics Conference coming up October 25th through 27th, 2022 in Santa Monica, California. You know, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we love to talk to big thinkers, um, people who are kind of like expanding out from what everyone else is talking about, thinking about, and getting us going. So I'm super excited for our guest today. Jimmy Stone is the founder and managing partner of Alderbrook Companies. It's a consulting and early stage investment firm where Jimmy works with clients ranging from investors, entrepreneurs, and executives at startups, public companies, everything in between. Um, They work to solve strategy and finance problems. They work with companies in several industries, but with a particular focus on media and music. That's why he's here. Previously, Jimmy was an investor at a long-slash-short hedge fund, and prior to that, a private equity fund. Jimmy began his career as an investment baker at J.P. Morgan, getting lots of expertise here. He also has an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and a BA from Williams College. Jimmy Stone, how are you doing today? I'm great, Dimitri. Thanks for having me on. You're in New Orleans, eh? I am. I am born and raised in New Orleans. It's, uh, it's summer here, so it's it's getting a little warm and humid, but uh, love the city. Great to be down here. Yeah, and I, I think I came across you on LinkedIn. You have this leveling up Substack newsletter, which is super cool. Tell us real quick about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So yeah, I started writing Leveling Up, I'd say maybe two years ago, kind of put it down last year because I was super busy and picked it back up again, publish an article once a month. It's mainly, you know, it's about learning in public. I've seen a couple examples, guys like Packy McCormick and Not Boring. Um, it's, it's a way for me to learn, but it's also a way for me to meet new people, share ideas, get better. Uh, hopefully folks find it entertaining and interesting and, uh, and yeah. That, that's kind of the, the background. I, I guess I should add, I focus mainly on media, uh, startups, investing, but it but topics can vary. I love it. I, I haven't ever said this publicly, but that publicly learning thing, that's what Music Tectonics podcast is for me too. So it's probably why I like your style so much. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to focus um, on transmedia, the concept of transmedia. One of your recent articles was specifically about prioritizing transmedia storytelling with music IP and used Hybe, the company Hybe, uh, as a kind of case study for your framework for analysis and and just diving into this. So let's kick it off with a basic question. What does transmedia mean and why does it interest you? I hadn't really thought about the term until I saw your article. I was like, why, wait, why am I missing something here? So, so, so what, what does it mean? And and, and why are you uh, engaging in the topic? Yeah, for sure. So just to put it really simply, transmedia is telling stories across platforms. So to give you an example of what that means, if you think about Marvel, the Marvel universe and, and Spider-Man, it, or, it originated as a comic. Um, and since then it's been made into movies, games, TV shows, et cetera. So it's, it's starting with an original IP in one format and moving it into other formats. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're super into transmedia, you'd say it's not simply uh, putting out content in new formats. It's also about telling new stories in new formats in a unified way. So an example there would be, you know, if, if you're a Star Wars fan like I am, you know, originated in films, but you're also seeing them telling new canonical, they're expanding the story of the whole universe with the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, 
in a TV format. So, um, so that kind of gives you a sense for, for what it is, uh, in terms of what interests me about it. Um, you know, I think the first and foremost thing is it's a mega theme we're seeing across media. Now, a lot of the large media companies like Disney, Warner brothers are really focusing on expanding content that originates in one format into others. Um, so taking films like we talked about or TV shows, riot games, even games and expanding it beyond into you know, vice versa, moving the game into a movie or a TV show, moving the TV show into a movie or game. Um, and so trying to understand what works, what doesn't work is, is really interesting to me. I'm a curious person. And, and the other thing about it, about the theme is best practice really hasn't, we'll talk more about this, but best practice really hasn't been figured out necessarily yet. And so, um, so I, I just find that really interesting to kind of be learning about the tip of the spear type trends. Uh, and then the other thing I'd say that interests me about it, and I really hadn't thought deeply about it until I wrote the article, um, is you've seen some examples of transmedia in, in music in the past, whether it's, you know, the Beatles, um, documentary, video game, Spice Girls, and, and, and the movie Spice World. There, there's been examples of IP that originated with music brought in other formats, but you haven't necessarily, I would argue, seen a company who's clear-eyed in the vision of, hey, we want to take our music IP and build an organization that, you know, tries to become the, the, the music version of Disney, you know, and, and, and tell stories in various formats. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a, it's an interesting theme and, and in music specifically, super interesting. That, this is great. I'm, I'm having a blast. I am doing my public learning here, so I appreciate it, Jimmy. And, 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 and just to, before we dive into some of the specifics from the article and, and where you went with that, where did you first hear about this concept of transmedia storytelling? I mean, as you say it, I'm like, well, duh. Yeah, you look at a Disney or a Marvel. We actually had um, Riot Games' Toa Dunn, the head of Riot Games Music, on the podcast, and he basically gave us a case study in this, but we didn't talk about transmedia a single time. Me, I was just like my mouth kind of open, just listening to him talk about these virtual artists that have spun off the game. And I was like, why are they doing that? This is crazy. But now all of a sudden I have some language to put around it. And now I'm going to, by the end of this conversation, I think have a framework, but that obviously we've seen it. We've, we've experienced it. And in fact, this, this draws to mind this book called The Experience Economy that I mentioned occasionally that I really like that talks about this idea that people shouldn't just be thinking about commodities, products, services, but experiences. Like what's the, what's the full like five senses experience that, that's possible? So I, so I love it. But the, the concept itself, where did you first hear about it? Maybe the term transmedia storytelling or just getting it into your head that it was a thing? Yeah, no, 100%. So I'd say about a year ago, I'd never heard about it either. Um, I do a lot of work in the game, in the video gaming space as well. Uh, I work with a, a group of guys at, at Novik. So shout out to them. They do incredible research and, and they do consulting projects as well. Um, and we, we basically had seen a lot of Hollywood type IP, film, TV IP being introduced into games. Um, and we're, you know, just again, curious, curious, wanting to know kind of what's going on there. Um, and so through that research, as I was digging through, came across an article by Matthew Ball, who you may be familiar with. If you're not, you know, former head of um, Amazon Studios, he just published a book called Metaverse. So free plug for him. Uh, just kind of a, he's a thought leader in the media space. And he wrote, he's written a couple articles on transmedia. Um, and that that kind of experience of writing an article on IP being brought into games and transmedia was was 
my first exposure to it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's how I came across it. Awesome. So you wrote this particular article that we're talking about by diving into Hybe, the label behind BTS prioritizes this transmedia storytelling. And in it, you mentioned that you're not even a K-pop yeah. fan yourself. Yeah, right. So so why did you write the article about Hybe specifically? Yeah, no. So it's it's funny when I when I started researching the article. I didn't have transmedia in mind at all, like zero mm. percent. I was just super interested in Hybe, um, and that was for a few reasons. So even though even though I don't listen to K-pop regularly, you know I, I'm well aware of BTS and how successful they've been, and I respect the fact that you know Hybe originally big hit entertainment wasn't a household name even in Korea, and it's just it was you know an amazing kind of what seemed like overnight. And I know they've been in business over a decade, but seemed quite an overnight success for you. So, so that was one thing. Uh, the other was, you know, along the lines of their success, they've um, had a number of noteworthy financial milestones. So like, you know, they went public uh, at a really high valuation a couple of years ago. They, you know, announced a, a pretty, uh, a pretty big, acquisition of Ithaca Holdings, uh, I think it was last year, over a billion dollars. Um, and then the third thing was, I, you know, I'd seen some articles uh, published about the founder of Bang Sihuk and some of the, you know, success of BTS, but I hadn't really seen much of a deep dive into strategy or how the business was performing. You know, being a Korean company may have had some um, impact on how much coverage they've gotten in the States in terms of like a business coverage. Um, so, so I was just super interested in, in the business. And then through doing that research, there was a, there's one presentation they made on corporate branding where, you know, they, uh, you know, they talk about their vision. It was to, when they were changing the, the name of the company from Big Hit to Hive, they talk about their vision for the company. They talk about the org structure for the company. And when they showed the org structure, like, I was like, my mouth was like wide open, like, oh my God, like it was literally the framework I'd written about the year before uh, of transmedia applied to games. And I was like, I, I have to, I, I this is, this is now the angle for the article um, because it, it was just so interesting uh, and I'd never seen it applied to music before. Um, and so, yeah, so, so that's, that's kind of the, the genesis. It wasn't, Hey, like I'm not, a, I'm not a K-pop fan, but I want to write about transmedia. It was like, Hey, I'm really interested in learning more about what this business is doing and then oh my goodness this is this is a transmedia strategy i love that because i felt the same way about hive it's so, sort of like you keep hearing about it and you're like they're making big moves they're accelerating this this artist and this community of artists and fans and doing really cool stuff around fan engagement they actually uh, are an investor in a company that we discovered through this podcast, Fave, cool. which is a fan okay. engagement company. And uh, uh, I met the founder of Fave through the podcast. She reached out to me and I encouraged her to apply to the Music Tectonics startup competition. She ended up winning. And then as a result of that, her investment started f flowing in, including eventually this investment with from Hybe as well. So I'm like, yeah. And they're, now they're a PR client of ours too. So I'm like, I, cool. I actually didn't know that much either. So reading your article was, I love that you were were able to like do what you that public learning what you wanted to do for yourself was super helpful for me and hopefully helpful for our listeners they'll probably go and read the article now as well but let's dive further into transmedia storytelling if, if our listeners are like me they had their mind blown just a minute ago when you just started explaining this things started to click come together but since this may be the first time that they've heard the concept why would an artist or a label or a company like this use this approach yeah, so I think there's a there's a few things to bring up here. I think first, 
Um, it can potentially allow you to capture more of your fans' attention, more of your users' or fans' attention. Um, and the way that works is basically if, if you only have so many entertainment hours in a day <clears throat> and I'm a fan and I spend you know 10% of my time with audio, 30% of my time with video games, et cetera, with the other formats, you know, by having content across formats allows, allows fans to spend more of my time with your content. So existing fans, more of their attention. So that's point one. I think the second point would be it would allow your fan, fans that you don't already have find you based on where they spend time. So there's, there's a lot of great research around demographics so, and, and how much different um, age groups spend with different media formats. Deloitte put out a study that showed Gen Z and millennials, or, so young people basically, are heavily focused on games, playing video games, whereas boomers and Gen X are heavily TV and TV and film focused. So, you know, if your audience caters to, you know, boomers, Gen X, if you, if you basically release content into a video game, there's potential that you could acquire new users through that. Um, and then the, the, another piece would be, it, it could allow for additional monetization. So depending upon which media medium it is, there's different, um, basically what I'm trying to say here is different mediums monetize better than yeah. other mediums. Mm-hmm. So, More profitable. For sure. So like there's, there's a great Twitch study that shows that uh, fans monetize 15 times more uh, it, spending time watching videos on Twitch than, you know, what they do on Spotify, listening to music on Spotify. Um, and if you look at what Hybe's been able to do over the last three or four years, you've seen them really, really scale the revenue that they've been generating outside of traditional audio channels. Um, there's also um, the dynamic of releasing new content into new channels um, benefiting prior, uh, benefiting previous. So like if you release content into movies or TV or video games, there's a potential of that, uh, creating an uplift in your audio content. Um, and, and then the last thing I would say is it's, and this is kind of a, a nuanced one, but it's, it's given how difficult it can be to execute a transmedia strategy. You'll, you have to have a lot of capital. You have to coordinate, um, the storytelling, you potentially have partnerships. You have to have, you know, varied skills to kind of release content into new channels. It's an opportunity for uh, larger record labels to potentially, um, you know, have a value add that's differentiated in the market. So, you know, you're seeing now with p- proliferation of software tools and companies providing financing, it's easy. It's becoming, you know, there's a shift towards artists having more more control over their careers, which is a great thing. Um, and from a, from a larger record labels point of view, you want to be differentiated. And this is a potential way to do that is to offer, you know, artists that want to be really, really big potentially, um, with, you know, a partner who can facilitate that. Um, so, so yeah, so those, that's well, that, I mean, that was just like a little masterclass there, <laughs> a masterclass in, uh, in, uh, uh, why, why an artist or a label would want to take this approach. I mean, I love thinking about that. Um, the, the fact that you're maybe picking up fans whose primary media platform is different than what you're used to using as an artist or a label. Um, so you're picking them up or you're picking up the existing fans, but at different times during the day when they wouldn't necessarily solely be engaged with music. Um, and and uh, uh, I also, as we were talking about in terms of gaming, like pick up additional monetization opportunities and also 
um, uh, digging into like catalog, like past stuff that's released. Like a lot of times, you know, in certain moments in the music industry, you see it's all about what's now, now, now. And then you go, you're talking about gaming, but look at TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. And see these Fleetwood Mac and running up the hill and all this stuff that's like been released decades ago <laughs> that that has a whole new life. It's like, wow, my retirement's going to be better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so it's not just gaming, but also seeing those, you know, multiple, multiple formats. Hey, we're going to take a quick break for announcement. When we come back, I kind of want to flip that question on its head and talk about, so what does it take to be successful at that? We'll be right back. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. All right, we are back. And just before the break, we were just talking about why somebody would use this transmedia storytelling uh, approach. But I want to flip it on its head and ask you, Jimmy, what are the primary char- characteristics of successful transmedia storytelling? So we, we talked about the benefits in a way, but how do you get there? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll talk through the, the framework that we, we break down in the article, but I think it's important to preface that with saying that executing transmedia is, is super difficult over time. You know, it's something that lar- the largest media companies in the world, like we mentioned, Disney, Warner Brothers, et cetera, are trying to achieve. Um, and they've had mixed success. You know, Disney at one point had an in-house video game studio that they shut down and started outsourcing, forming partnerships with other studios uh, in 2016, I think that was. So so this should be taken with a grain of salt, understanding that there are challenges and best practices still trying to be understood. Um, and so the framework, there's three parts to the framework, and then there's some over. I would say overarching considerations. So the first uh, is characters. So telling engaging stories through great content for Hybe, you know, the way they've structured their business is everything starts with the label group. That's where the music IP comes from that fans fall in love with. Um, and, and one of the, um, one of the considerations that Hybe has to deal with going forward is how do they diversify that IP across artists? And you've already seen that, you know, a big headline since the article was published where BTS said they were going to take a hiatus. So, you know, Hive's got to figure out, you know, do we develop those artists internally? Obviously a very difficult thing to do. Billions of dollars are spent on A&R um, and development every year by major labels, but but that's one avenue. The other, and what I expect them to do going forward is, is to pair that with additional acquisitions. They did the Ithaca acquisition, which came with Big Machine. I'd expect to see some more acquisitions. They have a lot of cash on the balance sheet in an effort to you know, beef up and diversify that IP portfolio. So telling engaging stories with through great content, like duh, but that's an important one and a really challenging one. The next is, um, the next piece of the three-part framework is convenience. So what is convenience? It's providing the right content at the right time in the right place. So it's knowing who your audience is, what they, what, um, what, what they look like, you know, how old are they? Are they male or female? And where do they spend the rest of their entertainment time? outside of audio? Are they playing video games? Are they watching movies and film, et cetera? Um, it's also, uh, sorry. So, so looking at what Hybe's done along these lines, you know, they've got their services, their solutions division, which creates online concerts, TV shows, games, webtoons, web novels, NFTs to meet fans where they are. 
And it requires a team that has varying skill sets, but it also requires a strong partnership team where they can find mutually beneficial partnerships that can help them leverage that, you know, that great content that's created at the label group. The last, the third piece of, of, of the framework of a successful strategy would be around community, which is, is kind of your group of super fans that feel connected to each other and the stories that you're telling by constantly engaging them, providing them the tools that allow these, this group of people that would be really upset if your content went away from, for, and to have continuous engagement. With Hive specifically, they, you know, they're unique. I mean, this is one of the most unique things about their business is they've developed a Weverse, which is their app, their mobile app and web platform that allows their fans to engage with each other, engage with the artists, to consume content, to purchase uh, merchandise, to, to purchase subscriptions that has for gated content. It's this community tool that they've developed and they've started onboarding um, third-party artists as well um, to the platform. So those are those are kind of the three pillars of a successful transmedia strategy or ex- so, how to execute a successful transmedia so, strategy. So characters, yeah. convenience, community. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Three C's. And then overarching that, which is we touched on a bit earlier, um, is coordination and capital. So, you know, from a coordination standpoint, um, a great example I love is Marvel Studios. So they've got a chief creative officer that oversees um, kind of their entire content universe from books to comics to TVs and movies and make sure that it's working in a synchronized way. Um, And, you know, as we talked about, Hybe structured their organization in a way to allow for a coordinated transmedia storytelling effort. And it also takes a lot of capital, right? I mean, to tell all these different stories, to roll out continuous content, to develop the tools necessary, takes takes a lot of capital. It'll be interesting to see if that takes a lot of capital part changes because we're seeing more and more tools emerging for creators that, you know, something that used to take a, a studio of hundreds of people, somebody's doing with an iPhone. Obviously, it's not the same end product yet, or maybe it never will be, but it does reduce the capital in a way. And maybe you, in some of these communities um, for different demographics are used to low budget content, right? They're, that's actually part of the aesthetic goal is to not make it too, too fancy and crazy. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it just depends on your goals. And you have a great um, little infographic in the article, which by the way, you can find this article at jimmystone.substack.com. Is that the best URL to use? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you grabbed a, an infographic from something called Conductor. What, is that something you've referenced before? I, that was the first time I'd heard of them. Yeah, no, I mean, it was literally through researching um, transmedia. Uh, they, it, it's their framework that, that they've published, and I've used it in, in the prior piece on video games and transmedia. Uh, and I, think, I think it's a great, it's kind of like an easy to understand, pretty clear uh, infographic. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So definitely yeah. check, check that out. And, you know, speaking of demographics, we, you talked a little bit about being able to serve different, uh, future fans by being on a different platform and also, um, or, or serving your existing fans across different moments in the day or the week or the month or whatever. But talk to me about this relationship between s- transmedia storytelling and serving multiple demographics of audiences. I mean, it sounds, you mentioned the capital intensiveness in a way, sometimes those different demographics are, are calling for totally different content, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's a, there's a table in the, um, in the piece where you can see this visually, I'll try to walk through it on, on, 
audio podcast but yeah, <laughs> audio but i'd recommend checking out the piece so you can see this so deloitte did a study where they break down where four different demographics generation z millennials generation x and boomers spend their time and i'm i just pulled it up so that i can know what i'm talking about <laughs> uh, but basically if you if you look at where um Gen Z spends its time, it's primarily playing video games and listening to music, you know, the youngest generation. I think that makes sense for people in podcasts who have kids. Millennials similarly are video, very video game and music and actually TV and movie focused. Whereas Generation X and Boomers are, are mainly staying at home, watching TV and movies. Very, very few play video games. Um, and so the idea is, is that kind of what we were talking about earlier, where uh, it, if you're if you're ju- if you're just releasing music, you're only capturing a certain percentage of, you know, whatever your uh, demographic, your your users, wherever they fit in the demographic spectrum's time. And so you can you can kind of focus in on where if you ha- if you know you have a specific demographic, you can focus in on where does that demographic spend the most time. So if, if for an example, maybe give it some meat is you know if, if most of your listeners are Gen Z and they're spending, um, you know. 14% of their time listening to music. Well, maybe, you know, if you're considering how do I release, where should I release content next? Well, if they're spending 20, they're spending the most time playing video games. So that probably is not a bad place to release some content. Um, and, and kind of the thing to, so basically the thing to think about is to understand your audience, where are they spending most of their entertainment hours? And, you know, can you basically get, you know, get more of their attention, um, potentially monetize more in in various other entertainment uh, formats. Amazing, uh, and it is a super cool um, uh, kind of table you have in there from Deloitte. One thing that strikes me is that engage on social platforms. Um, I, I always think about social platforms as also being split across demographics. You know, Facebook versus Instagram versus Twitter versus Twitch versus sure. uh, Be Real versus LinkedIn. And yeah, pod- you can go a lot deeper for yeah. sure in the analysis. Yeah. Uh, everyone's like, Oh, you gotta be on TikTok. You gotta be on TikTok. Well, maybe it depends. Right. Yeah. Super interesting. Great. Appreciate that. So you also talk, um, in the article about some media formats being more lucrative than others. And you mentioned that at the top of the podcast, um, has the music industry undervalued media formats that they considered peripheral to music, or is it something larger that's changing in consumer behavior? That's making those other formats more valuable. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. I didn't go super deep into this topic in the piece, so I I, I don't have like a, a very clear view on this answer. I think I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think on the consumer behavior point, I think for sure fans are spending more time. I mean, we, we just walked through that table. Younger fans are spending much more time with digital uh, digital content in new ways, so they're, they're spending much more time in interactive experiences and video games. Um, I think on the music undervaluing other formats point. I don't, I don't necessarily know if, if music's undervalued other formats. I, for sure that I don't think music's yet embraced this kind of transmedia strategy full bore like you've seen maybe in other, um, you know, in, in film, TV or, or games. But I think, you know, in, this is my view. Like, I, I think music's struggled with monetizing super fans. And I think one thing transmedia strategy allows you to do is, is do that, like to really focus in on your fans and where they spend time you know, really focusing on a community. Um, and, 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 and yeah, so that's, that's where I come out is, is transmedia kind of 
it supports your it, it supports the relationship with your super fans and really it really uh, stresses that. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that maybe music's kind of str- struggled with over time. That's mm-hmm. my view. Yeah. I mean, the other piece that I think about with it from this kind of music tech, music innovation side is that it's taken a long time for music to figure out the licensing issues as these new things emerge as well. So it's not necessarily that they're undervalued, but first they were burned by by peer-to-peer sharing, by not getting ahead of that and figuring out how they were going to monetize that. And then, you know... Apple iTunes kind of became this gorilla in the industry and and kind of dictated a lot of the terms. And so they hesitantly moved into streaming. Now streaming has brought the revenue of the whole music economy up to a a previous uh, viable point, but in the process has forced everybody to sort of solve this licensing issue more. It's not totally solved. Attribution is still a challenge. Royalty payouts is still a challenge. Splits is is a piece of this that makes all that a mess. And also just managing the large increase of the amount of music that's getting released commercially um it just makes it an exponential like pipeline data pipeline problem but now that some of this stuff is starting to get sorted out also getting rehashed again in the in the form of blockchain uh uh, tracking and 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 payouts and things like that but as it's starting to kind of level out to some extent I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and I actually think that the the streaming component was an important developmental stage in the music economy that is now a very strong foundation. And the type of thing that you're talking about, sure, there's transmedia doing multiple things at once, intense in capital, possibly not reachable by everyone that's listening to this podcast or every artist or label, but parts of it are. Like just diving into one piece of another platform, uh, maybe following some of your advice about targeting a demographic uh, accordingly, I think are possible because of that licensing. Anyway, um, over the last couple of years, I think we've seen this, you mentioned uh, super fans, this emergence of extreme fandom. And I know it's sometimes referred to as stands from the K-pop world and spreading westward. I don't know if the, the concept of ex- this extreme f- fandom is spreading or just we saw it kind of like it, it was kind of labeled and noticed in the East first. And, and now people are realizing, well, it's totally relevant and we see it over here with Swifties or, or whatever else. But it's like a seismic shift creating new forms of community, whether an artist or a, a game maker likes it or not, it's, it's, it's happening. You know, they, they, they might, sometimes the fans are creating it, you know, but how, do, how does community, one of, one of the pillars you mentioned, this direct connection between an artist and their fans, how does that play into the transmedia strategy and, and Hybe in particular, if we could dive a little bit more into that? Yeah. So, I mean, I community, um, I, like I mentioned, like I've done a lot of work in gaming specifically in crypto too. And it's this very buzzwordy thing that I, I think it's thrown around a lot. Like what is community? Right. Um, I think of, of it like, and I think I mentioned this earlier, it's like your fans that would be like super upset if your IP went away, it's your super fans. And so from like a strategic business perspective, you know, these are the people you have the lowest cost of acquisition. Like when you release new content, they also have the highest LTV. Like they're the most valuable customers or users or audience members. So, you know, engaging with them, making sure that they feel valued and making sure the relationship is strong is super important. And so, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the way Hive has gone about this is they've created, they didn't see anything necessarily in the market that, that fit their strategy ar- around building a community. So they built, they built their own app. Um, and it, currently it has over 6 million monthly active users. 
the the actual um, re registered users, I think, is over 100 million. I mean, it's it's a, it's a pretty high number. Um, and they've started allowing third party artists under the platform. So you know, it's it's a really uh, unique approach, uh, and and I think speaks to uh, you know the dearth of tools, at least at the time when they when they created it for artists to connect to their fans. I mean, streaming's done a lot of great things for the industry, but arguably um, has put kind of the, the 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 user's listening experience necessarily ahead of the relationship with the uh, of the artist and the fan. And um, Hive is really focused on developing tools for that, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes tons of sense. And it, it's, uh, it is interesting to see all the different platforms and formats in which these community engagement activations emerge. We're, we're seeing a lot on Discord is, is a big one. For I sure. mean, before that, Patreon, but in, in some communities that use Twitter kind of as a, as a strong meeting place. Um, but those brand-specific ones, it'll be interesting to see how many of those get enough scale to last because you really have to have critical mass for those to really be effective. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, let's, let's get a little specific about HYBE and what the prospects are there. We'll be right back. Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech, and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person October 25th through the 27th, 2022, in the Music Tech Hub of Los Angeles. Top-tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you, whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already. Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back. And this is, like I said, been a great masterclass in just thinking about this concept of transmedia storytelling. And you used uh, HYBE as your kind of case study to walk through this. How do you think all of this impacts HYBE's financial prospects and, and their future? Yeah, so... Um a lot's changed between when when the piece was published uh, in this conversation. So, I, I mean, in the piece, I talk about their vision is very ambitious to to create this to realize this transmedia strategy that they um, that they're building towards. And you know, to date, they've been uh, arguably very successful with it. Um, their revenue, you know, in twenty eighteen, I think was around thirty forty million. They've they've grown it to to a billion dollars in a very you know five years. Um, and they've generated in 2021, 58% of their revenue. So over $500 million from what they term indirect revenue sources. Um, and that's up from 30% or around hundred million in 2018. And these indirect revenue sources are, are, are things transmedia related. So examples would be, would be fan club subscriptions, video game sales. They're about to release NFTs, webtoons, uh, educational materials. It's anything where the artist is not directly involved with the creation. Um, and, and, you know, that's, to me, that's pretty amazing, right. That they've, they've seen this kind of growth that said, and we touch upon a lot of risks in the article, there's, there's still a lot of risk. Um, 
one of which kind of came to fruition recently with BTS taking the hiatus. It's this, this idea that, you know, they have, BTS was, was incredibly strong IP, but, but they're still diversifying their IP portfolio, um, which will include organic. They've, you know, they've diversified it somewhat, but they need to continue diversifying it, which includes both organic developing the artist in-house, but also through acquisition, the Ithaca acquisition, probably future acquisitions. We'll see, but probably, um, it, it also, you know, some of the other is it's really, it's really hard. And when you're doing it at the scale that Hybe hopes to do it, um, and it's ex- expensive. Um, it's what, you know, the biggest media companies in the world are trying to accomplish. And then, you know, from, a, from the fact that Hybe is a public company, right. Their, their prices, their, the value of the business is, is, uh, visible day to day. They have to navigate the public markets and, since the BTS announcement, the valuation's been cut in half. And so that's 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 just going to be challenging. They're going to have to navigate being a public market company. Um, so we'll, we'll, it's kind of it's kind of a cop out answer, but we'll see. Um, I think they've they've built a, like they've got a very strong structure in place to to execute and they've demonstrated that they can execute this transmedia strategy. The question really is, can they can they do it for a long period of time? Like, can they continue to grow with the extremely impressive rate they have. Um, and that, you know, the, the key thing, in my opinion, to, to doing, to, you know, maintaining, sustaining this growth is, is the content piece of that, that pyramid of the, of the framework. Um, that's where they really need to beef, in my opinion, they need to beef that up so that they can continue to, uh, you know, to leverage all, all the internal learnings and all the, all the great tools and, and people they've, they've built over time. Well, and if they hadn't have been this transmedia company and they faced this issue with BTS taking a break, there would be very little to leverage. But since they're already in this mode of generating so much revenue from non-artist driven content creation, it, it's kind of a diversification of the risk, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think you can definitely make the argument that um, they're better off than they otherwise would have been if you know they didn't have any other revenue streams. I think we talk about this in the article. the The challenge for them is, you know, their 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 valuation is a premium, or was it a premium? The like the stock's been cut in half. At the time, the valuation was at a premium to other K-pop companies, other media companies, and it was partly driven driven by their um, their high growth rate. And you know, everything's relative. So I I 100% agree with you. They're in a better better position than they otherwise could be. But that growth rate, which was baked into the price, is is you know is at at risk now, yeah. um, and we'll see, we'll see. But I mean, you know, uh, I'm 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 excited to, to watch. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's a neat gotta, case study. Yeah, for so sure. unique and and on the cutting edge of this stuff. I mean, you think about it. Um, any any kind of label or studio that comes from a perspective where they have a concept for a band and they audition people for that band and members of the band maybe cycle in and out, the traditional boy band, girl band, whatever you want to call it, um, is kind of, <laughs> you kind of have a little more resources at, at your disposal as opposed to a real uh, 
personality, charisma, individual, artist-driven band, you know, where like, oh, the lead singer quit? Well, you're kind of screwed. It's a different band now, but um, sure. but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So uh, super cool insights. Gl- glad to see that we can also kind of be part of the, the, the rolling out of this story on an ongoing basis post writing that article and, and having more kind of inputs to, to analyze. Just a couple more questions for you, wrap up. What do you think other music brands, artists and labels can learn from, from their approach we've talked about that you haven't already discussed so far? I mean, you did get into some of that early on, just thinking about segmentation of market and fan and so forth. But what else do you think people can take away? Yeah, no, I think so. First, I think one of the key things is that, you know, if done successfully, there is a lot of financial reward, right, from executing the strategy. It's a way to capture more of your existing fans' attention, find new fans, engage your super fans, and monetize more often. Um, I think, you know, that should be taken with some of the risks we talked about. So it can, if your ambitions are super high, it can take a lot of capital. It requires, you know, a variety of skill sets, coordination, uh, somewhat consistent new content to sustain that that success. Um, So it may not be, the point is it may not be a fit necessarily for every artist or company done at a large scale. Um, And then, you know, to the point you just made, I think it's super important. So like with the BTS announcement, you know, I think it's fair to ask, you know, is it is it unrealistic maybe that music IP can have the same longevity as some of these like, you know, Marvel brands, Star Wars brands, right? Like these are real people who have changing motivations and desires. They're not just like an asset. Um, so, you know, that's something that if you're a label or even, you know, an artist or a brand, you, you should acknowledge. Um, and then for the majors, I think, it, you know, for the major labels who have you know, potentially very high ambitions. It's a way to differentiate in the market. I think if, if you're going to do it at scale, you know, when you're pitching a, uh, an artist who has, uh, visions of becoming, you know, extremely popular, um, on the artist side, I think it's an interesting opportunity to be creative in new ways and in new mediums. Um, again, all the other things around financial reward and capturing more of your existing fans attention, finding new fans, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, again, as an artist, you should understand the potential costs of, of executing this transmedia strategy and, you know, it's while it allows you to generate content that doesn't require your time. We talked about BTS's indirect revenue. You know, it, it is most likely going to require you to, if done at, you know, BTS scale, put out more content. Um, so, you know, just worth thinking about that trade off of your time um, as well and, and the demands. Uh, but yeah, no, I, th- I think those are some of the lessons learned here. I love that as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that we have just transmediaized your article by having it on a podcast. There we go. Let's <laughs> so, go. So those those who don't read, certain generations yeah. that don't read or didn't come across it or whatever, or maybe they were reading something else when it came out and now now they're listening to a podcast. So in the in that spirit, if anyone wants to learn more about transmedia storytelling, Jimmy and I will be doing twice a day Twitch streams about this <laughs> forevermore. We're also going to be gaming on Stardew Valley together and discussing uh, tr- uh Transmedia and Fortnite as well um, at the same time. And we're also releasing a fictional film about a new transmedia company. Um, busy right? man. Yeah. yeah busy. <laughs> Actually, none of that's true. Um, anyway, I like that we dove into this deeply. Um, and we, you know, I, I gave a little bit of your background, but before we totally wrap up, let's make sure to hit on this because who the heck is this dude doing this research and writing this newsletter? What do you do on a day to day basis? And, uh, and then, and then, after that, what, what can we expect from the leveling up Substack? Yeah, I kind of wear two hats on a day-to-day basis. So at Alderbrook, we 
we we're a consulting firm. So we help with, I think you mentioned at the beginning, finance and strategy projects, um, help startups to public companies and everything in between um, can look like market research, can look like capital raise, can look like, you know, making an investment uh, in a company. Uh, so, so a variety of finance and strategy projects. We also make early stage investments um, in primarily media and media tech and software companies. Um, and then from leveling up, it's kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the call where, you know, it's, it's a way, way to learn in public. Um, and, you know, you can just expect, I'm going to try to release an article every month, uh, primarily about media startups, investing, anything else that catches my interest. Um, yeah. And feel free to reach out. You can ping me on, uh, LinkedIn, alderbrookcompanies.com has a form you can fill out and, uh, yeah, subscribe to the blog on Substack, Jimmy, jimmystone.substack.com. You got it. Yeah, and there's been a couple of recent articles um, back in April. Where do music catalog valuations go from here that our listeners might be interested in? A more recent one uh, in June was his blockchain gaming recession proof. Super interesting stuff. I'm so excited I came across you and that you took the time to join the podcast and talk to us about transmedia storytelling. Jimmy Stone, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Dimitri. Enjoyed it. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.